Welcome to the Autism and Neurodiversity Podcast. We're here to bring you helpful information from leading experts and give you effective tools and support. I'm Jason Grigla, a licensed counselor and founder of Techie for Life, a specialized mentoring program for neurodiverse young adults. And I'm Debbie Grigla, a certified life coach. And maybe most importantly, we're also parents to our own atypical young adults. Hello and welcome to the Autism and Neurodiversity Podcast. I'm Jason Grigla, and I am joined with my good friend, Dr. Jack Hinman. Next thing I want to talk about, one of the ways that ASD and attachment distress shows up similar is in hypervigilance. Both have a really acute sense and awareness all the time of what's going on. And I know for ASD, they overthink and they overfeel, but for different reasons. Their brain is hardwired. It's more often easier in into the lower brain. The connection path between higher and lower brain is broader and wider path. It might be in trauma brain as well with attachment distress. But they're they have a trouble, they have trouble filtering out information. And so because they're developmentally behind, they get into a, almost a manic focus on I'd better learn more because I'm falling behind. But in attachment, hypervigilance comes from a different place. Yeah, definitely. And so I kind of imagine like like you have like your bandwidth, your internet, and in a sense those wires, and somebody who's ASD is that they're just flooded with with information coming in because they're they're sensory overload, and so that creates like some people love concerts, like some people hate concerts because it's too overwhelming. So imagine like going through life going to a concert every day, like people jumping off stages and the loud sounds and the lights and the smoke right. and that like that sensory overload. So you're hypervigilant all the time because you've got so much information coming into your system. And then for a person who maybe has attachment disruption, it's that they're hypervigilant because I feel unsafe. So it's it's sensory versus feeling unsafe. So that's kind of differentiator between the two. And so understanding that is so important. So you hear a lot of people that were diagnosed as older teens or as adults as ASD talk about going to therapy and their therapist is kind of coming from like a too much of an attachment place or too much of a, like, and, and, and assuming that they're hypervigilant because they're feeling unsafe and they're going from the wrong angle. They're feeling unsafe because they're overwhelmed. And so therapy can be really hard for them because they've been pushed into the wrong therapy modality because they haven't been really right. identified as ASD. And so I think that's just understanding the differentiation about those things help you as a clinician. Is this more neurodivergent stuff or is this more attachment stuff? And so yeah. then you can kind of like shift your approach knowing that. And the hard part is it's probably both and they overlap and it's hard to tease out the differences, but there are some differences. So some examples on how they differ. Insecure attachment from trauma or whatever situations came up that can be healed whereas neurodiversity is what it is physiological and and autism there's nothing to heal but it's going to be different and that's a big difference you can yeah you can you're going to have that core neurodivergent piece it's always going to be there like you said always going to be there. Yep. you've got the depression and the anxiety that it turns it up a notch like it like like ramps it up and so i think as a clinician really helping them treat their anxiety and depression can help actually maybe turn that notch down a little bit and help them understand how to met, how to like, how to operate it, how to like, how to, to be okay with themselves 
why they're connecting with the world. And so I think that's the treatment process. And yeah. So another factor is I, you know, autism, autism is from birth or even from conception, the autism is there and is going to be there and it may not manifest itself really well until a little bit later, sometimes sooner, sometimes later, but because, but because disruptive disrupted attachment occurs from trauma, it happens after birth and because of, of scenarios that are going on. So it can develop at any time. That's a major difference. So knowing someone's autistic from the get go it's so important to understand their attachment style is going to be different. Don't assume problems because they're not attaching like us. And I think therapists, like you said, have a tendency to go in and say, you don't look like me. You must need to be healed and fixed like someone who has attachment distress or insecure attachment. So Jason, they talk about like zero to two years being like the most critical Time yeah. of brain 20, 24 to 30 months is a really critical space, for example. Yeah. Yeah. Your brain grows. I think by the age two, your brain has grown 70%. 70% of the brain development is like, from like probably inception up to age two or three. And quickly. So doubled and doubled what? and doubled. Yeah. The brain. So, yeah. So my question to you, Jason, is that during that huge critical, you will say you have severe trauma. We work with clients that have been in orphanages and and have had severe neglect and abuse during the zero to two. So do you think severe trauma can cause autism? I think it certainly mimics autism. I don't know if it causes it. It, The symptoms can look the same. Attachment looks different and you may not know the difference to tease it out. I do think neglect and abuse change the brain. We know, we know trauma brain is real. And once it's changed, as much as the brain is neuroplastic and can heal to some extent, you're still building on broken foundations, which is why in the therapy world, we look at reaction attachment disorder or RADS as like the hardest, scariest thing to deal with, even worse than personality disorders, because it's you're trying to fix something that is physiologically different, not just chemical imbalances which is anxiety and depression and some of the other things, chemical imbalances is much easier to change than neural pathways physiologically. So yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't really care as much about the diagnoses as I do. What do they struggle with? What do they need? And, and how long is it going to take to get it and don't give up? Like it, it takes longer to, to fix or heal any attachment issue for ASD. It takes a long time to learn how to attach to neurotypicals who don't attach to them in their own ways, but they can learn it. It just usually takes a lot longer. And and healing attachment distress requires a lot of healing versus learning. And that's a major difference. One is healing. One is learning. One is to go back and fix the problems that broke. And one is to look forward and say, okay, let's teach you these skill sets that your brain never really thought about before. For most neurodivergents, they have to do both. So they get a double whammy of the trauma and they don't have the natural skill sets. Mm-hmm. No, I think they they can. I think they could be not mutually exclusive. I think you can have the diagnosis of ASD one or two or three, and also have an attachment diagnosis. Unfortunately, there's no good there's no good, good attachment diagnosis out there in the DSM that really adequately capture sure a lot of people we work with and i think the thing is like they one of the other i think sometimes we feel like oh it's asd so it, it's not attachment so we just kind of forget about attachment 
And but they can have attachment that, disorder. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's so important to like, they're not mutual excuses. And I think you really like, I, I like what you said, learning. What was it, what learning versus what was the other thing you said, Jason? What was it? The learning um, and what? Healing, healing versus so learning. learning and healing. Yeah, you're kind of throttling both. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so, and, it's, and I think it's important, very important. I want to talk about how to insulate attachment distress. What are some of your suggestions for insulating attachment distress, whether they're neurodivergent or trauma brain or whatever it is? How do we help? How do we help build attachment? So, so, yeah, let's talk about caregivers in general. When I use our caregiver or helper, I'm sure. talking about the parent. I'm talking about a therapist. I'm talking about a teacher. I'm talking about a, like all those people that are kind of like are are coming in connection with with folks who are ASD. I think, I think one. I think first off, you need to learn about yourself. Take the attachment project test. Learn about your attachment style to know what your triggers are. And so, for example, so if you're a preoccupied teacher or a preoccupied therapist and you're and you're working with an ASC client and you come in to work that work one day and they and you say, "Oh, hello, how are you doing?" and they just don't even talk to you. They blow you off. That's going to be triggering to you as a teacher or as a therapist like like what did I do wrong? Like, "Oh, I'll and I'll rush into it like, "Oh, how are you doing?" and I'll like I'll like lean in, I'll flood that person. I'll flood that ASC person because I'm, I'm, I'm feeling like I did something wrong or they're mad at me. They don't like me. And so then what happens? I flood them, which is not good for them. And then they, they might go, they might react. And then I react because I'm dysregulated too. the boom. We're off to the races again. So the thing is knowing about, so if I know I'm preoccupied, (laughs) I can walk into work. If so-and-so is like on their Nintendo switch just intently involved and I say hi to them and they don't say hi to me, it's not going to bug me. I'm like, okay, cool. They'll probably say hi to me. They might say hi to me later. If they don't say hi to me, I'm going to be okay. I know that me and so-and-so are good. I don't need them stopping on their Nintendo Switch to acknowledge my presence that I'm a good person. And so that's a secure person. So knowing that, like not getting reactive, not personalizing their behavior, able to like, not make it about ourselves because when we're we're in, we're in that insecure anxious style type we're in the emotional brain we're and so i like using dbt terminology wise brain equates secure secure so that's one thing right so then when you're secure you're not you're when you're secure you're less dysregulated which means i'm not focusing on my own stuff i'm able to like i can it's almost like i can i can turn this the right the, the frequency to their attunement like I'm like, I can change my, my, I can tune into different people that I'm working with. Like one client, like their, their, their connection shows up differently than this other client. It doesn't have to be about my, but my need or my type of connection. Like I'm, I'm, I'm willing to let that go to have their type of connection. So then I'm more focused on them. I'm able to like, oh yeah, so-and-so they're, they're not good in the morning. They're better after they've done X, Y, and Z. Or it's just where I'm I'm more able to to toggle, to flex to sure. their attachment stuff and see them and, and not being like they gotta respond to me. So I think that's one thing. So let me, that's let one me thing. piggyback on that. When you have a, a mom, especially an adoptive mom with infertility issues, 
there is already a deep sense of I need to love and be loved. I desperately want attachment and I want a child to be able to give. And with a baby, it's easy easy to give, give, give. They don't have to give much back. They just have to look at you and, and giggle a little and you're just full. But the older they get, the more parents want and have an expectation, an, an ideal that it's going to be a two-way street. And so there's a huge amount of grieving and maturity and letting go of expectation and shifting mindsets that's hard to be able to go in and say, well, this interaction is not going to be about me really requires giving up on how I need attachment. And that's actually true. It is a loss. One mom was having a really hard day and she just looked at her her son who seemed to be selfish, only did what he wanted, very pleasure seeking. She went and sat down by him and just started talking to him about his game. She let it be about him. After about a half an hour, the boy paused the game and turned to his mom and just gave her a big hug. And then he went back to gaming. He, I don't think he was conscious. He, he was so gen- genuine and organic. And that just filled her whole cup. So in that case, the autism didn't keep him from caring. He just did it naturally and, and organically. But he had to have his needs met first, right? She she kind of had to take the high road in that. And that's that's what we do as parents and helpers and mentors, right? It's tough. It's so, so tough. And and that's where you need support as a parent. Tons of support. Where you're like any therapy or a support group or online support group and reading yep. and, and getting outlets and connection other places too, because yeah, we talk about not getting our self-esteem from our kids, but we really do. I do really bad. I'm bad at it. Right. And, and I, and I could probably drive people crazy about talking about my kids too. And I got to be careful. And, and, it, and so having a, a child who is ASD, you have less of those moments to like reinforce you as a parent to keep you bought in. It's like a slot machine. Like if you went to the slot machine, and ninety percent of the time, it paid off a thousand dollars. I think you would have trouble walking away from that slot machine. Sure. But that slot machine ever paid off? Yeah, you might keep you bought in, but you're it's you're going to walk away. So that's that's the work as a parent where you're going to have a, have less of those moments. But then maybe doing your own work, you might be more tuned to those moments where, like, oh, like you're in a play group with parents. And you have one child that's coming back to, oh, hey, mommy, hey, I found this cool rock. And they want to talk about the rock. And But then there's another child that's off by his side of the playground just playing with his rock. He doesn't even show his rock, but he's there in the same area. So it's right. like that that's different and, understand, and able to – so educating parents about that. So once again, John Gottman is an awesome marriage and family therapist, talks about expectations and relationships. like the. The key part about success in any relationship is expectations. So having, knowing your child ASD at the very beginning, you start adjusting your expectations, which helps that relationship. Right. That doesn't mean they can't attach or don't attach, but it's not going to feel like your attachment. So we have a couple minutes left. I want to ask you two things. One, what are you, what do you get extra excited or passionate about in, in your work, professional life, personal life? What gets you really excited or, or what are you passionate about? Man, I, we have this group on Fridays and it's, it's with our young adults and they're talking about their lives. They're talking about getting a job for the first time. They're talking about 
dating. They're talking about going to school and the work with young adults on a community-based level is so exciting because you get to see them doing it. It's, it's really, I have to be careful. I think get very, very tearful in groups and, like, in, in that setting. So just seeing people come into their own, finding their tribe, finding connection. And like, like it's all about connection and, and it's helping to, de- it's helping people to de- de- decode, decoding connection, decoding the connection, I think. And it's cool to see that and, and, and having connection. And so that's another thing too. And of course, with my own children, like see my kids finding their tribe and connecting and I get fired up when I get connected and, and being like the benefit of being an only child is I had to go out and build my connections. I had to go out and find it. And, and so that's helped me. So I love going to conferences I love hanging out with people and connecting and so yeah, connecting with my, with my buddies on bikes and, and we will talk therapy as we're riding on a bikes about stuff and, and yeah, connection and seeing people connect is what gets me fired up. So, so Jack, you run a, a young adult treatment program and it's called engage. And that's one of the things that I think is unique and special about your program is how attachment focused and savvy your program is tell us a little bit more about engage yeah so we're working with adults that are still clinically kind of complex yet clinically stable so they're still struggling depression and anxiety and 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 i would say half of our clients have been or in that neurodivergent kind of space and and so it's their mental health really it's their mental health it's limiting their ability to connect, limiting the ability to connect at work, connect at school or with themselves. And so we provide a clinical offering of a residential treatment setting without being without the container of an RTC. So our clients still need individual therapy, group therapy, life coaching. They need psychiatric support. They need nursing. We have a dietitian. We have a pre, we have, we have life coaches. We have case managers. We have, we have therapists, we have a second nurse practitioner, we have a dietitian, we have an RN. So we have a, we have a robust clinical team, but these clients are not, they're not like suicidal or a risk themselves. They're just not thriving. They're just not out right. there, but their mental health is getting away. And so our thing is like helping them move into that space of getting jobs, going to school. And, and so it's really exciting. We're right next to a university. And so it kind of creates a really great, awesome environment. And being in Cedar City, Utah, it's a great place to access the outdoors and access your education at the same time. And so it's cool that we go skiing, we go mountain biking. And so it's, it's yeah, that's that's engaged basically in a nutshell. If someone wants to reach you, what's the best way for them to contact you or get to know your program? You can just, you can first off get on our website, www.engagelife.com. I just sound like an old person there. I think WW. It's yeah, so I weird. I know. If like you can get me at AOL.com. No, but you can. So yeah, engagelife.com. You can find us on. And also too, you can email me directly at jack at engagelife.com. Hey, I, I love our conversation and I love a lot of the things you do. Thank you so much for joining us. We're going to. We're going to get off now, but I look forward to more deep discussions about these things that we both care so much about. Thanks, Jack.
Hey, thanks, Jason. This is a blast. This is really fun. Gosh, I've really, really enjoyed getting to know each other closer the past couple of years. And it's cool to see like this. I love following Techie on social media, like the Instagram. It's just cool to see all the cool things you guys doing. And it's cool to run into your conferences and us kind of have these side conversations about these things. And I just appreciate you and kind of like support and how I've learned from you in this space. So I just thank you for our friendship. I, I feel the same way. So thanks for everything. Okay. All right. Thanks for listening. And we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Autism and Neurodiversity with Jason and Debbie. If you want to learn more about our work, come visit us at jasondebbie.com. That's J-A-S-O-N-D-E-B-B-I-E.com. dot